This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Thursday afternoon, September 7th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. Tesla plans to install charging stations at 2,000 Hilton locations in North America. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, a survey by CNBC finds 4 in 10 American workers aren't contributing to their 401k retirement plan. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Elizabeth Buffardi, founder of Crescendo Financial Planners and co-chair of the Personal Financial Planning Forum for the Illinois CPA Society. Elizabeth, Thank you for joining us today. Of the four in ten who are not contributing to their 401k, uh, did they say this was a rather recent development that they stopped contributing to to keep up with the in order to keep up with the rising cost of everything? You know, I'm not sure about that. I have a feeling that um, it might be one of those things that they're that they just don't uh, offer an automatic contribution. A while back, a couple of, um, uh, there might have been a law, I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was definitely a movement to have an automatic contribution, especially for new employees uh, coming into 401k plans. And so uh, I think it started usually at about 1%, but it might be all the way up to 4% at this point. And what what is the, the, the lesson that you want to impart to people who either don't know how to contribute to a 401k plan, they don't have that automatic payment set up, or they feel that the money can has a better use elsewhere in the here and now? So the there's a saying, and I apologize that I don't know who said it, but there's a saying that the best time to start saving was yesterday, 10 years ago, whatever the time frame in the past was. And the second best time to start saving is now. Generally, I tell everybody to save at least 10% of your annual income, and I think that a lot of people get hung up on how to do this. Saving in your 401k is a great and easy way to do it, and if you're not sure how to do that you know, within your 401k, talk to the people in HR because they're usually quite helpful on getting that stuff set up. We're talking to Elizabeth Buffardi, founder of Crescendo Financial Planners in Oakbrook. If there are four in 10 workers who are not contributing to their 401k, that means there are six in 10 workers who are contributing to their 401k. And about uh, half of the respondents of the survey say they're uh, contributing about as much as they can afford. And a quarter say they're putting as much away as their employer will match. What is a good rule of thumb for those who are saving and especially if they have an employee match. So the the at a minimum if especially if your employer has a match, you definitely want to put in the the minimum that will get you that match. The better way to do it is to save at least 10% because having that money come automatically out of your paycheck is the easiest way to do it because then you you don't miss it, you don't see it and if you can't miss what you don't what you don't already have. 
So it goes away, and then a lot of times, because it's not right in front of you, meaning like you don't see it in your bank account, then you don't have to worry. Like people, it's not something there that's going to tempt you to be like, oh, hey, let's go on vacation. So it's much easier to be able to say, okay, this is done, and I don't, and now I can focus on the other things that are going on in my life. What about people who, you know, they do uh, stash away, they, they consistently contribute to their 401k, they take advantage of that uh, employer match that's out there if it's available, and they're still worried about savings. You know, what very, what's kind of some uh, brief word of advice you can pass along to them? So first you want to make sure, if that's a concern and there's more money that you can save, first you want to make sure that you're, match, you're, that you're maxing out your 401k contribution. So for people younger than 50 in 2023, you can put in $22,500. If you're older than 50 or 50 or older, then you can put in an extra 7,500 for a total of $30,000, which is a really nice chunk of change. If there's extra money to be saved, a lot of it depends on, uh, I'll say, what your adjusted gross income or your AGI is and whether or not you'd be able to contribute to a Roth IRA. And if you're if you're not able to contribute to a Roth IRA, then you can put it put the money into um, well, one, make sure your emergency fund has been built out, or you can put it into a taxable brokerage account or what some brokerage firms might call a non-retirement account and save it that way. Elizabeth Buffardi, founder of Crescendo Financial Planners in Oak Brook. Money Talks, as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Tesla is teaming up with Hilton to add electric vehicle charging stations at the hotel chain's properties in the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Let's learn more from Matt Jones, consumer editor with Edmonds based in Los Angeles. Matt, thank you for joining us today. We're talking about 20,000 charging stations for electric vehicles across 2,000 Hilton properties in North America. How big of a deal is this when it comes to boosting the nation's electric vehicle charging infrastructure? I think it's actually a pretty big deal, and it's a good indication of companies working together to get us that infrastructure that we're going to need if there's going to be that mass adoption that the White House and several states have said they want to see by 2030 and 2034. I think it's actually a pretty big deal, and it's a good indicator of, of kind of what's to come. It also seems like it addresses an area of need in the rental car market because uh, there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal this week that really spoke to me talking about how more and more EVs are showing up uh, on rental car lots. People get them. They don't know how to drive them and they don't know where to charge them. I, I am so glad that you brought that up because when I first heard about the Tesla Hilton you know, collaboration, for lack of a better term, the next thing I thought of was the Tesla Hertz collaboration, which is, you know, Hertz has ordered 100,000 Teslas to help, you know, populate its fleet, which really goes to what you're talking about is like, you know, people are going to be renting these and they may not have familiarity with how to charge them, how to operate them. So on the outside, it seems like a great opportunity that, you know, you're going on vacation, you're trying something new, you're renting an EV for whatever your reasons are. But we know that car shoppers often use renting a vehicle as an opportunity to decide if they want to use something, bring it into their own personal fleet. So I think that, again, implications, especially around rental cars, um, are are big. But this makes perfect sense. You've got Hertz saying, hey, I'm going to have 100,000 cars. Well, people who are renting cars are often going to be going to hotels 
And Hilton's going to say, I have a place for you to charge these cars that you're going to be renting this Tesla. So I think there's a lot of synergy there. Matt, that actually happened to me. Uh, I was out in California earlier this year. Uh, we did rent the mid-sized car for driving around San Francisco. And they said, do you want a Tesla? I said, hey, cool. I get, let's, I've, I've never driven an EV before. And then they brought it around. And Matt, the only thing I knew how to do was change the radio station to KCBS. That, that, that's all I could do. Every, I, I was so confused, I gave it back. So clearly, I'm not alone. Well, no, you're definitely not alone. And I think that we're going to see, uh, well, this is just Matt Jones pontificating here, but I think that we're going to see just a, a slight turn away from the over-technology in EVs and make them more aligned with what we're used to so they can actually have broader adoption. Because I'm in the car industry. I've been in the car industry for over 20 years. And sometimes I hop into an EV and I'm like, huh, what's this? So I'm right there with you, Rob. And it's the charging infrastructure, too. Like, we we all know where gas stations are. And we've seen charging stations maybe in shopping mall parking lots. I know the parking garage in our building uh, has uh, spaces for EV charging. But once you're actually behind the wheel of one and you see that uh, battery go down in the 20s and then you don't know where to find one, uh, that can be a source of real anxiety. Yeah, that range anxiety, as you said, is real. But I think the good news is, like, again, the connection with Tesla and Hilton and things like that. But there, it's also not just Hilton. It's 7-Eleven decided that they, they said they're going to build out a charging station infrastructure. Subway Sandwiches has said that they're going to do so. Starbucks is working with Volvo to do so. Uh, there's companies called, like, Electrify America, and that's their sole purpose is to put those in there so that we can actually get to a space where, you know, people aren't more than 50 to 100 miles away from a charging station um, and as these things become more ubiquitous and people become more familiar with them, hopefully uh, we can all be get a little bit more comfortable with the idea. Um, if a person is so inclined, you know, we have done tests, if a person is so inclined, they can drive a car from Santa Monica to Manhattan uh, in the EV or Santa Monica to Anchorage. We've, we've, we've done it. Uh, it just takes planning. So we know the infrastructure is there, but it, it needs to be a lot easier. And I think these are steps in that direction. Matt Jones, consumer editor with Edmonds based in Los Angeles. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, the NASCAR delayed Taste of Chicago opens tomorrow. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Taste of Chicago takes place in Grant Park this weekend after being bumped from its usual early summer slot by the inaugural NASCAR street race. We're joined by Ali Marotti, restaurants and retail reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Ali, thanks for joining us today. And this moving the Taste of Chicago to September, obviously it was by necessity, but it caps off a decade of extreme change for this festival that at one time was a very big deal. You're exactly right. It had gone away during the pandemic. They just brought it back to Grant Park last year, um, you know, since then. And this year they upended the timing, right? So it's usually held in late June or early July, now obviously early September. Um, it, the lineup is scaled back. There's about 35 uh, vendors that will be there and about 17 food trucks. And yeah, I mean, this um, is a festival that 
uh, in its heyday, you know, pre-Great Recession, right? Hundreds of people would come. As recently as 2011, it lasted 10 days and it drew millions of people, had 57 vendors, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's taken a, a bit of a turn. Oh, Allie, when I was a kid, I mean, there was a two week festival. There was the 3rd of July fireworks in the middle of it. Like all the radio stations would do live broadcasts from taste of Chicago, including us. We would have news anchors out in Grant park, uh, reading news and talking to restaurateurs. And is it still a big uh, event showing off the city's food scene or do they have other ways of, of, of showing themselves off? Yes, yeah, so you make a good point, right? So this launched in 1980, and we've definitely seen the evolution of that. Um, the the vendors I talk to say that it is still a really nice event for them as far as marketing goes, especially the ones that are coming in from, you know, maybe the south side or different neighborhoods that are far flung that wouldn't normally get as many tourists, right? They can go down, they can kind of get their name out there. So they tell me that that is still helpful and and people still do come. I don't know whether it's turned a profit in recent years, but I do know that, um, you know, it it generated, it used to generate millions of dollars for the city. And then when the Great Recession hit, uh, it barely broke even in 2010 and then it lost a million dollars in 2011. So that's when we saw former Mayor Emanuel cut the event in half in 2012. So that's when we started seeing the scale back. But they do still have bands that come. They do still have events. Last year, you know, when they were kind of operating in a post-pandemic situation still, they had events up in the neighborhoods to sort of break up the crowds. And they did that again this year throughout the summer. So it may just be kind of a new, um, you know, taste 2.0. Ali Marotti, restaurants and retail reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Technology Thursday, how artificial intelligence is helping in the fight against cancer. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Residents of a Chicago neighborhood react to an upcoming influx of migrants. A heat wave continues to broil sections of the east and the south. In Technology Thursday, image-based artificial intelligence is helping doctors identify cancer. And your next smartphone could set you back by more than $1,000. WBBM Business, the markets are mixed right now. The Dow is up 96 points. The NASDAQ is down 135. And the S&P 500 is down 12. We have 66 degrees right now under cloudy skies, going up to 70 today with cloudy and breaks of sunshine. It's 12.31, topping our news at the half hour. A community meeting in Greektown last night focused on the arrival next week of nearly 200 migrants who will be, will be housed at a neighborhood hostel. Residents expressed varying views. I completely support the idea of putting uh, migrants in the Parthenon. I think that it's a very important issue. I'm at ground zero of this catastrophe. I live right next door, unfortunately, to this what's going to be a mess. The migrants were originally expected to take up residence tomorrow, but it's been pushed to next Friday. School systems around the country are responding in varying ways to the excessive heat. CBS News correspondent Christina Ruffini reports students and teachers are coping the best they can, but face some tough challenges. Jacqueline Lyons is the president of the Washington, D.C. Teachers Union. Literally cannot teach. Your whole day is surrounded with trying to keep your, your children cool and making sure that they're safe. 
Already schools in at least nine states have had to alter their schedules because of the heat, either going to half days remote learning or canceling classes altogether, leaving parents and teachers to scramble their schedules as well. Some districts are even buying air conditioners for the first time. The markets are mixed this afternoon as the noon business hour continues. And joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Victoria Fernandez, chief market strategist with Crossmark Global Investments based in Houston. Victoria, thank Thank you for joining us this afternoon. And it seems like interest rate anxiety is once again settling over Wall Street. Yeah, I think you're right, Rob. Um, Obviously, as yields move higher, certain parts of the market, especially the tech part of the market, um, reacts to that. And that's what we're seeing. And yields are moving higher for a variety of reasons. But I think mostly what we're seeing as of late is the rise in oil prices leading to the belief then that that's going to continue to pressure inflation. And as inflation goes higher, the Fed may not be done rising rates, and therefore yields move higher as well. But it's definitely having an effect on the equity market. And then uh, the Dow is in positive territory today, and it seems like earnings reports are, uh, are, are driving that particular, uh, driving the Dow Jones industrial average at least. Yeah, they are. And, you know, it's a little bit surprising when you see a stock like Apple down almost 4%, and um, that you would still see the Dow be positive. It was negative in the beginning of the day, but we've definitely seen it turn around. That's a little bit of positive momentum here, but the, the broader momentum that we've seen over the last couple of weeks has definitely been to the downside for the markets, but it would welcome a green day. Now, at the same time, you know, there, there obviously are a lot more uh, risks when it comes to the Fed uh, raising interest rates once again, just when you see uh, the resilience of the job market and you also see uh, more signs the economy is performing stronger than uh, originally anticipated. I mean, if you go by the uh, 2022 forecast, so we should be in a recession by now. But looking out of the hood, especially on the employment side of things, there is kind of a gradual easing of conditions in the job market that uh, could reduce some inflationary pressure. Yeah, it's interesting. The jobs report last week was really the first time that we saw some evidence that there could be some softening in the labor market. But it really is kind of contradicted by other data that's come out. We have the, the ISM manufacturing report that came out and the employment component of that was strong. Initial jobless claims this morning They were the lowest they've been since February. So that's saying the labor market remains strong. And I think you add in with that some of the elements that we're seeing in regards to wages and potential labor strikes. It looks like the labor market could really be a driving force not just in wages and inflation, but definitely in the Fed's path going forward. We're talking to Victoria Fernandez, Chief Market Strategist with Crossmark Global Investments in Houston. It seems like the uh, smart money is now uh, coalescing coalescing around the idea that uh, the Fed will still pause at their next meeting, but it's going to be a hawkish pause, Victoria. They're going to look uh, really mean and nasty uh, when, when, they, when they address reporters. <laughs> There's definitely going to be some reading of the tea leaves. Um, when they do address reporters after the meeting. I think you're correct. Most people anticipate that there will be a pause in September. That could change depending on the inflation report, the CPI report that comes out next Wednesday. If that's a really hot report, then maybe expectations change. But the expectations for the next meeting, which concludes on November 1st, actually has a 25 basis point hike built into it. So it looks like maybe one more hike this year, and then we'll be on that 
hold for quite a long period of time as we head into 2024. Victoria Fernandez, Chief Market Strategist at Crossmark Global Investments in Houston. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, how artificial intelligence is impacting the fight against cancer. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Technology Thursday. Microsoft is partnering with artificial intelligence company Page to build the world's biggest image-based AI model for identifying cancer. We welcome in Shelley Palmer, CEO of the Palmer Group and Professor of Advanced Media in Residence at the Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. Shelley, thank you for joining us today. This news about Microsoft teaming up with an AI company to develop an image-based AI model for detecting cancer comes hot on the heels of another study which found that uh, AI was very effective in detecting cancer, that it could at the very least uh, assist radiologists as they uh, as they try to find uh, cancers that uh, they may not have been able to see before. Yes, in fact, um, there's plenty of scientific uh, evidence and good studies that support exactly what you said. When you look at the kind of image recognition technology and pattern recognition technology that uh, is available today, specifically using uh, artificial intelligence, it becomes instantly obvious that this is going to be a immense assistance for better patient outcomes uh, you know, used for pathology. And that's exactly what Microsoft and Page are trying to do. They're going to use um, pattern recognition tools, kind of the same stuff you use for face recognition uh, or any kind of Uh, unsupervised learning where a computer uh, model is going to look at an image and make some determinations about the patterns it sees. And those patterns can tell a uh, pathologist uh, what the likelihood of a tumor being cancerous or not being cancerous or a a growth or melanoma. So that's the the hope. And and I think that we're all going to be better for it. When fully realized, this will be an assistant to a radiologist or a human pathologist uh, and, and, and an assistant that can help them detect cancers smaller and sooner. That's right. And I think the assistant part is really important. We're going to start seeing, all of us are going to start seeing this idea of co-pilots, AI co-pilots. And then we're also going to start seeing a slightly different uh, call it an AI coworker is I guess the best way to describe it. So a co-pilot is going to help you pilot the tools you're using. So if you've got a very complex task, like determining if a slide is cancerous or not of a cancerous tumor or not, then you're going to have assistance. The AI can, the model can see better than you can see. It can see smaller things. It can see different things than human eyes can see. In uh, the case of all of us, we're going to have co-pilots that help us use our tools better and then we're going to have coworkers, which are, you know, when we're looking at data as humans, we can see what we can see, a page of data, two pages, a book of data. But if we've got a spreadsheet that's 20,000 columns by 250 million rows, we can't, as human beings, interpret that. We need coworkers, AI coworkers. Now, we use computers now. We're going to use AI coworkers then. You're going to see assistance everywhere. Here's what you're not going to see ever. The computer doing 100% of the work with no human intervention because subject matter expertise drives the efficacy here. A great pathology will be even greater. A great pathologist will be even greater using AI. A bad pathologist will be better using AI. But uh, AI by itself is neither of those things. It's not a pathologist. It's simply an AI model that looks at patterns. 
Shelly Palmer, CEO of the Palmer Group and Professor of Advanced Media in Residence at the Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. Thank you for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday and still to come, the soaring cost of smartphones. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Technology Thursday, and if you've been in the phone store recently, you may have experienced some sticker shock. Let's look what's going on with the trends in phone pricing with Dan Gallagher, tech reporter for the Wall Street Journal's Heard on the Street column based in San Francisco. Dan, thank you for joining us today. We're talking smartphones well over $1,000. What's going on here outside of inflation? Well, it's actually been going on well before inflation kicked in. Uh, Back in 2017, Apple introduced the iPhone X, which was its first device to kind of hit that price point. And Samsung had put out a phone that year as well that was hitting against that. Over the last few years, the two companies and some others have had more and more models and configurations, you know, getting in that range and well above it, actually. Like now you'll spend... Uh, Samsung sells some phones that are now over two thousand because they have those foldable screens, and then but Apple sells ones that are priced at over fifteen hundred. When you get like the the fancier models with the highest memory configuration, so this has been going on for a long time, but it looks like it's going to keep going. And this is the these are the the phone models that uh, are at the very top of the market. Now, what about just the uh, average Joe or Jane smartphone that uh, allows you to take pictures and then put them on Facebook immediately? You can still get those devices for you know for good prices. Uh, in some cases, maybe through you know as low as three hundred dollars or so. Um, I but we I think you've seen the market just kind of pick when the market picks up like this, it kind of affects everybody. I mean, um, according to IDC um, data I got from IDC, average smart, smartphone prices, which include those low end devices all the way up to the premium ones, have gone up an average of eleven percent annually. Um, since 2017, and that's way more than the rate of inflation. So I think everybody's felt it. It's just you feel it a little more depending on, you know, what kind of device you're getting and where it sits on the price point. And then how how much uh, do uh, carrier promotions distort the marketplace where when you get to upgrade time and it's two years and you pay uh you know there's there's a monthly payment that goes on top of your what you're paying for service and then it's waived and so you're not really thinking about you're you're paying two thousand dollars for a smartphone because that payment will be spread out over the course of 24 months Uh, absolutely right and that's that's among the many tricks they have that that you know, kind of mask what this effect has gone on. Um, and they're picking up a great, they've been picking up a greater portion of the tab. Um, I got some data in my column that shows like kind of where the average price that people actually pay versus what the wholesale price is for a device. Um, and that has picked up notably over the last few years. It's now a spread of like 49%. What that means is carriers are picking up a little a gr- increasing portion of the price of these devices. Um, to get to make sure they get keep customers going. The problem with that is they just can't keep doing that forever. These carriers have their own, um, you know, constraints in terms of capital and where they need to spend their money. So I think you're going to see consumers start to bear a little bit more of the price gains going forward, um, even though these promotions are certainly not going to die off. Dan Gallagher, tech reporter for the Wall Street Journal's Heard on the Street column based in San Francisco. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.